There it is. Okay. Uh, many of you, it may not surprise to know uh, that when I was a young child, uh, I was a bit uh, mischievous or mischievous. I don't know how you say it. Mischievous. You say mischievous. Any mischievous ones in here? Let's take a, let's take a vote. Mischievous. Hold them high. Mischievous. Okay. Mischievous. Mischievous is correct. She's insist she's being mischievous about the pronunciation of mischievous. So <laughs> we're going to take your word for it. Okay. Uh, I was a bit mischievous and, uh, Particularly around, again, the grade school years. It was the grade school years that had a lot of trouble. I had difficulty focusing in the classroom and not only paying attention, but distracting the other kids around me. That's, that was my, uh, my chief crime. And, and this, of course, made parenting uh, for my parents no picnic uh, for my mom and dad. They, they, were, they were pretty strict. They, they held my brother and I to a high standard. Of course, it didn't help that I had a sibling, my brother, older brother, 20 months older than me, who was a model citizen and everything that he did. He was, he was perfect, right? And so when I got in trouble, maybe it put my mom in a sort of a panic mode. What's wrong with this one? Okay, so when I would misbehave at school, there would be letters that accompanied me home from my teacher or principal, Mr. and Mrs. Fesco. This is how Lyric misbehaved today. And my parents would be disappointed and they would uh, uh, punish me accordingly. There was one instance, and to be honest, I, I don't remember what the infraction was because, again, there were so many of them, but the letter came home and the teacher was telling my parents uh, what I had done wrong. And, of course, my mom and dad were upset and disappointed uh, with this. And it should be noted that when this note came home, my birthday and birthday party was just two weeks away, okay? Two weeks away. The invitations had already gone out, as I recall. It was going to be a Star Wars themed party to no one's surprise. Then along comes a note from the teacher. Okay. My mom was so frustrated with me by this point that she said, listen, you, this is it. No more notes. I want no more notes, no more bad letters from your teachers. No more. And in fact, if you bring home another note from your teachers, I'm going to cancel your birthday party. I'll do it. Don't Test me on this one. I will do it. I just had two weeks. I just had to make it for two weeks. I just had to behave for two weeks. That was it. Two weeks. But I blew it. <laughs> I blew it. I can't remember what I think. I, if I remember correctly, I, I pushed a pin into the bicycle tire of a girl that I liked. I, I flattened her tire. I, I still had something to learn about courtship, I suppose. So I bring the note home, I'm in trouble. And now my mom is faced with a decision. Do I cancel the party or not? Do I cancel the party or not? Well, my mom is a person of her word. Any of you that know my mom knows she's a person of her word. Something she tried to instill in us from a very early age, be a person of your word. Because God is a person of his word. It was always, she always tried, tied it back to the bigger picture. So she said, if I'm going to cancel your party, uh, if you bring home another note, if I said that, that means I meant it. Uh, and she wanted me to know I'm in it. So yes, she canceled my birthday party and I was devastated. I was devastated. I remember her calling the parents of all the people who we invited one by one, because back then no emails, no text messages. She had to go through the duty of hello. Yes, this is Mrs. Fesco. There's no more party. What? And, because, and the parents were just beside themselves. Every one of them tried to say, oh no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's awful. And I was like, yeah, mom, listen to them. But she wouldn't relent. She kept her word and my party was canceled. 
out of principle, she felt she couldn't change her mind, okay? Now, I want you to keep that story in the back of, uh, of your mind as our backdrop to this hard saying that we're gonna be dealing with today in our hard sayings, of the, hard sayings of the Bible series. Okay, I decided to stay in the Old Testament for another week, and I was reminded of this passage recently as, we, as my family and I, we were going through Exodus, and we stumbled across this, and I thought, oh yeah, there's those types of passages. That would make a good topic here. It was when, when God told Moses that he was going to take away the birthday party of the people, okay? <laughs> he was going to take away his favor from the people. He made up his mind he was going to do it, and then it seems like he relents. He says, okay, I'm not going to do it, all right? And let me read the passage that it comes from, Exodus 32. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I'll be uh, putting it up here too. You can follow along there. But let me set the scene for you. You may recall that when Moses went up to the mountain to receive the, the commandments of God, the law from God, upon his return back down the mountain, what did Moses encounter but a giant golden calf, right? Uh, since Moses was taking so long to come down off the mountain, the Israelites decided to make a God of their own. You know, they took all their jewelry, melted it down and created this calf. And so Moses heads back down the mountain so that he can see what's going on for himself. This is Exodus 32, 7 and following. And it says this, Exodus 32, 7 and following. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So it's like he's saying, I'm gonna start over, okay? God is going to take away the birthday party, so to speak. God tells Moses that, that he's, he's going to unleash his wrath on these people who, who continually wander away from him, despite his faithfulness to them. Sound familiar? It's a lot like people like mischievous, mischievous, <laughs> mischievous, we Eric, right? And over and over again, wandering off, wandering off. And this time they erected a giant golden calf and were bowing down to worship it. And so God tells Moses, that's it. That's it. I'm going to consume them. So then what happens? This is uh, Exodus 32, 11 and following. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? You've done this, Lord, with great power and with, with, with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them? from the face of the earth. And he's saying, in other words, they're gonna, you're gonna be a laughing stock, Lord, that you brought them out of Egypt only to kill them, right? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. So he goes on this campaign. And again, he's saying, don't do this, Lord. You're going to be the laughing stock of the land of everyone around us if you do this, because you're the one who brought them out of Egypt only to kill them. Don't do it. So what happens in verse 14, it reads, and the Lord relented. Unlike my mother. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry we're going to bring this in for a landing at some point and 
And I'm going to put my mom off the hook again, who I tell you listens to these recordings and they put on the podcast. So she's probably saying, hey, right. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Again, the birthday party's back on for them, right? So, so what happened there? Let, let me ask you plain and simple. Did God change his mind? Did God change his mind? I see some, I see some no, right? Was God planning on doing something then upon listening to the good reason of Moses? You make a good point, Moses. I hadn't considered that. Does that sound like God? Does that sound like something God would do? Oh, I hadn't considered that. Okay, back on, all right? One of God's attributes is that he is immutable. Do we know what the word immutable means? Does not change. He's unchanging, okay? God does not change. Why? You know why that's important for us to understand? Because everything around us changes. Everything around us changes all the time. We as Christians, when we look at the Bible and we look at it and count it as the word of God, and again, if we want to establish a baseline, a foundation, and the writings of this document that we call the Bible, thousands of years old, we really need to know that these words don't have an expiration date to them. We need to understand that God is going to change his mind as the culture around us changes. Again, we see that the, the values and the morals and the standards of the culture changing all throughout time. It's, it's nothing is ever new. So we talked about last week in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. He's a God that does not change. He does not change. So when we say that God doesn't change, what are we saying exactly? What, what about God does not change? Because, because we just read a verse that makes it seem like maybe he did. All right. Maybe God does change his mind. If God does not change, then doesn't that include his mind? Right. Let's, let's hold that intention for a little bit. Let's just hold that tension out there and unpack it a bit and see what the Bible has to say about God not changing. What does the Bible tell us in terms of, of God changing or not changing? And, and here's where we're going to uh, cite a book uh, by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. And if you ever want a good read on, on just the attributes of God and, and, uh, and, and even more, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And I, and I took some of these, these points right, right from that book. And he points out, first of all, that, and we're going to, oh, did I miss that? Oh, back it up. I meant to put a slide in there. We're, we're coming to these right here, but then we'll go ahead and put them up there. The life of God is the first thing he says. That's the first point. The life of God does not change. What do we mean that? What I want to do is, again, I want to unpack a few of these things. What doesn't change? So we're going to go through all these things about God that do not change, and then we're going to circle back around to our, our problematic verses here and hold them up against it, okay? So the life of God doesn't change. I, what I mean by that is it is lifespan doesn't change. That's why I have these verses up here. Your throne is established from old. This is Psalm 93, 2. Your, your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting, everlasting. Jeremiah 10, 10 expresses a similar sentiment, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King, everlasting. Here's uh, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 15 to 16 which he will display at the proper time, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. What, what's the key word here? These, these, these thoughts of immortality. Eternal is what it says. God does not die. 
And there are numerous passages throughout the scripture, particularly in the Psalms, that reiterate this over and over again. Simply put, God didn't need to be made. He was always there. He exists forever, and he is always the same. He doesn't grow older. He doesn't gain new powers or lose those that he once had, okay? He, he always has and always has been. He doesn't, he doesn't mature or he doesn't develop. He doesn't get stronger, weaker, or wiser as time goes by. Another book uh, by a guy named A.W. Pink, and that book is just straight up called The Attributes of God. Uh, great book. And, and in it, it says, uh, he says, he cannot change for the better, for he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. Okay, so in that regard, God doesn't change in terms of aging, maturing, or, or his lifespan. He's eternal. There's no lifespan associated with God. He always is and always was. The life of God does not change. Second one, God, let's see if I got this one right. Oh, I did put it up there. God's life does not change. I, I'm all off here, but uh, where's this one? Oh, we already did that one. I got these reversed. God's character does not change. The character of God does not change. We as humans, our, our character is always undergoing change. Uh, if we are people of good character, it wasn't because we were born that way. My mischievous nature will tell you that, okay, when I was young. But even beyond that, according to the world's standards, it's possible for someone to go from being a person of good character to a person of bad character. Our character is subject to change, right? Not so with God. One of the most explicit examples of this in scripture comes from Exodus 3, whereby God reveals his name to Moses. Do you remember what, uh, what, uh, what the Lord told Moses in this account? When the people ask, who sent me? Who do I say sent me? And what did he say? He reveals the holy name of God at this point. I am who I am, is what he's saying. I am who I am. Tell them I am sent them to you. And when he says that, he wasn't simply describing himself. He's not just simply describing himself. He was making a declaration of his self-existence and his eternal changelessness. A reminder to mankind that he was, he, was, he was life in himself and that what he is now, he's eternally so. And in that declaration is where we derive that eternal name of God, Yahweh. The short version of that declaration is I am. It's God's name. And if you want a New Testament affirmation of this, let's see if this came out right. James 1, 17, bam, got it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God's character does not change. His life doesn't change. His character doesn't change. And this one's really important. God's truth does not change. What he proclaimed to be true thousands of years ago still holds true today. Sometimes we say things that we don't mean. Uh, we often say things that we wish we could take back. And I'm not even talking about the hurtful, you know, the hurtful category. When we say something hurtful and say, I wish I didn't say that. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we just say things that later we wish we didn't say them. Where I used to work, you know, before I, I uh, worked here at the church, I, uh, I used to have one of those uh, Keurig coffee makers, you know, the kind, the little, little pods that you put in there and out magically comes a, a cup of coffee. But the problem with I bought, I was just so upset with that because I bought this one and they said, oh, we, it's a new kind. It's a new kind of, and, it, and it does, you know, new, new tricks that the other one doesn't do. 
And I'm like, great. So I bought it. And then I promise you just a few months after having it, they said, ah, we've discontinued this one. And so I only could buy the little, you know, the pods that were a special shape and size. I had to buy them. I couldn't find them in stores anymore. So I can only buy them from the website itself. Okay. And so I thought, okay. But again, it, it became so inconvenient because they said, not only could you not find it in the store, but you had to go to the website and then you had to pay shipping on top of that. Unless, unless you bought $50 worth of coffee, then you could get free shipping. So I'm like, I'm going to buy $50 worth of coffee. Bought $50 worth of coffee. And uh, that lasted me about six months at a time. Uh, and the, the funny thing is, is that when you're dealing with these retailers online, if, if they haven't, once, once they get your email, they got you. Uh, and when they haven't heard from you, say, I'm not going to order from them again for six months. And so when they haven't heard from you for a while, right, then they start sending coupons saying, hey, come on back. And so I could time it just right so that I, I, I could order my coffee, a six-month supply, get free shipping, get a coupon, place another order, and I'm set for another six months. Okay, so I had a friend. And uh, one day at work, I offered him, I said, uh, would you like a cup of coffee? And he said, sure, I'd love a cup of coffee. Gave him a cup of coffee. And I said, he said, thank you for giving me this cup of coffee. And I said, anytime. And he said, really? I was like, yes. And then I promise you, he came by once a day, helped himself to a cup of coffee. And then, and, and what am I thinking? Well, this is messing up the whole thing. My, I got a system going on here. And if, and if, and if you mess it up, what's going to happen? I'm not going to get the coupon in time. And then I'm going to run out of coffee. And then I, and what am I going to do? I got to the point where I'm like, I'm sorry <laughs> that I, what am I going to do at that point? Don't, you can't have any more coffee. You've had enough. Once a week is all I'm like, I can't say that. Right. Point is I'm saying something that I, I, I now wishing, gosh, I, I never said. That's what I started to think, you know? Uh, and the thing is, here's, the, here's the, the, the kicker to the story. I ended up giving up this Keurig machine. I gave it to my friend. <laughs> you can have it. <laughs> it's, it's all yours. Good luck. All right. So again, long story short, point is that people like you and me, we, we simply, we don't know our own minds. We don't know our own minds. All, all our views change. We say things and then we, we realize we can no longer stand behind them. All of us, all of us at some point have to back off our words because we have ceased to feel the way we felt when we originally stated those words. And again, backtracking to my mom, that's, that's why she said she couldn't. That's why she couldn't tell me, okay, the party's back on. I, I have to be true to the word, okay? Not so with God. His word stands forever. There are no circumstances, circumstances which prompt him to recant what he decreed with what he decreed, okay? Let, let's affirm that statement with a few verses of scripture. Isaiah 46 to eight, the grass, is that right? No. Uh, this is Psalm 119.89. Oh yeah, they're both up there. The grass withers, the flower fades. Isaiah 46 to eight, the, gla the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, forever. Uh, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And there's, there's more, again, way, way more than I could uh, detail. I have a few of them up here. And, and beyond this, before we think, oh, well, that's the Old Testament. Do we have same things in the New Testament? Of course, in Jesus, uh, excuse me, Matthew 5, 17 to 18, Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Meaning everything that we said in the Old Testament still stands true. They still apply. 
I'm here to fulfill those things. The things, the ceremonies that we no longer have to do, we don't have to do because Jesus fulfilled them, not because they expired or changed or the requirements uh, of them changed. Okay, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, until they pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. In other words, everything that held true in the Old Testament still holds true today until it's all said and done. Until every bit of it, it's all said and done. The truth of God does not change. That's the third one. The truth of God doesn't change. And here's, here's another one, one more that we'll highlight. Did you have a question? Every piece of the Old Testament still applies. Yes. It means more than the law. Yeah. The, the, it says what? Say it again. It says what? More than the law? Or it just says the law. You're saying it just says the law. And, and I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets. Everything that was said in the Old Testament, everything that's in your word, none of that I didn't come to do away with. In other words, what he's saying here is, here's a better way to think about it. If you think that I came here to let you off the hook, that's, what, that's what's really important here. It's not that I've come here to say, I'm starting over. I'm not scrapping the old system. Everything that was revealed in the Old Testament still applies to you. That's still the standard. But again, like we've discussed week after week, when we get to the, when we read the law, the law is supposed to push us to the point that we say, I can't do this. I can't do this. Even though we can't do it, it still applies. That's why Jesus came to fulfill it on our behalf. Make sense? You still have a question. He was, the, he was the, the hand that penned Exodus through the inspiration of God, yes. Moses was. Uh-huh. God is sorry that he told him, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, okay, so you're saying that perhaps Moses heard it wrong. Mm -hmm. God's word is perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. This is, this is where we're going with this whole conversation is why would God say something like that? And what you're saying is perhaps Moses misheard it, or perhaps there's another explanation, but I'm telling you, there's a good explanation. We're going to get to it. I promise you, I promise you one more thing that we'll highlight, and then we're going to get to the uh, nitty gritty of these answers here. Because again, what we want to do is underscore the idea here that I'm, there's no ifs, ands, or but. God does not change. God does not change. Again, we're building tension here. We're building tension here, but it sure seems like he changed. And let me tell you, that's not the only passage in the Old Testament that makes it seem like that God changed his mind. There's, there's numerous ones. So what's going on? One more here. God's purposes do not change. His purposes do not change. This is an important one. You know, like the last point, we, we humans tend to, to change our minds all the time. And, and a lot of things cause us to change our minds. What, what causes us to change our minds? Uh, we don't have the foresight to anticipate all the circumstances around the decision we've made. You know, a good example, my, my family and I, we, we make plans to go on vacation. I can think of at least two that we've planned far in advance. This year, we're going to go to the Grand Canyon, or this year, we're going to go to Myrtle Beach, or this year, we're going to do this. And we have to cancel those plans because of things that we didn't. One time, it was a, a death in the family. Another time, it was a, there was a hurricane that was moving up the, the, the uh, East Coast. And that changes your plans. 
We don't have the foresight to deal with these things. Or sometimes we'll change our plans because uh, I don't, we don't have the foresight to, uh, to see that we lack the ability to execute the plans. Okay, how many things have we done in our past that we would do differently if we had the ability to see into the future, but we can't see in the future? Uh, we, just, we just adjust our plans to compensate for, for those things that we're not able to anticipate. I would, I would have never bought this car had I known it was such a lemon, or, or I would have never taken this job had I known it was going to be so stressful. These aren't, per- I'm just random examples. I love my job, by the way. I love it. I would, have, I would have made more food had I known so many people were going to show up for the, the Shroud of Turin <laughs> event tonight. That's real, okay? Or, uh, uh, um, you know, again, we, this, this sort of thing happens all the time where we look back and say, if only I could have foreseen this event happening, you know, we could change our plans, our mindset, our opinions based on what we're able to foresee. This is not so with God. This is not so with God. He, he doesn't have any trouble with foresight, okay? God is both omniscient, all-knowing, and, and omnipotent, all-powerful, there's never any need for him to revise his decrees because he's not only the foresight to see what's ahead, but because he's the one that set it all in motion. It's all his. He's the cause and the effect. Psalm 33:11. the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. What, what God does in time, he planned from all eternity. That's a lot to wrap your head around. What God does, he planned from all eternity. And all that he planned in eternity, he carries out with time. He carries out in time. And, and, and all that he has committed himself to do, he will infallibly do it. Okay? When he says he's going to do something, he does it, period. Remember this uh, scene in the Old Testament, uh, whereby the Lord swore to Abraham that Abraham would be the father of a multitude of nations. Through him, through his own offspring, he said, he would bless the nations. And God swore it would be so. Who did God swear by when he said, I swear it to be so? He swore by himself, by himself. He swore as if he said, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, may, may I be cut to pieces like all these animals that, they, that he and Abraham were, were, uh, were encompassed by. And we get a, a commentary of this in the, in the book of Hebrews Uh, Hebrews 6, 13 to 17 says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. God's plans do not change. This is why he could so confidently tell Abraham, you better believe this is going to happen. You better believe it. Why? Because I said so myself, and there's no one greater whereby I can swear to it. Uh, than myself. My plans do not change. Okay, now let's circle back to our original question. We start with an account in scripture where it seemed like God changed his mind. In light of all this, in light of all this, Trudy, yes. Oh, within the, the, the verse that I just read? Uh, da, da, da. Well, I said in 17, uh, purpose. So, uh, but I extrapolate out of there plans. Purpose. Purpose. Yeah, I understand that. But okay, not let it go. So, you, but you're 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 saying, how, where do how do we know God's plans do not change? Yeah. 
Oh, let, let's, let's circle it here. Let's see if this answers your question, okay? And then bring it back up if it doesn't. Uh, okay, original question. It seems like uh, Moses convinced God that he was being irrational, right? Uh, and so he relented. He changed his mind. It seemed like he changed his plans. Okay, is that what happened? Again, this is not the only passage in the Old Testament that, that makes it seem this way. Just a couple quick ones. Genesis 6, 6 to 7, the Lord regretted that he made man, he says about, uh, he says to Noah. First uh, Samuel 15, 11, I regret that I've made Saul king. Second Samuel 24, 16, the Lord relented from the calamity. Jonah, Jonah's a great example. God relented of the disaster that was uh, to, to befall the Ninevites. Joel 2, uh, 14, who knows whether he will not turn and relent. Okay, so J.I. Packer, back to knowing God, says this about these types of passages. It is true that there's a group of texts, some of whom I just mentioned, which speak of God as repenting. The reference in each case is, to re is a reversal of God's previous treatment of a particular people consequent upon their reaction to, what that to, uh, to that treatment. But there's no suggestion that his reaction was not foreseen or that it took God by surprise and was not provided for in his eternal plan. No change in the eternal purpose is implied when he begins to deal with a person in a new way. And some of you may be saying, deal with a purpose in a new way. Is that a change of plan though, right? Again, just because he's dealing with a person differently than he was before, it doesn't mean his eternal purpose and plans have changed. Remember, remember he's more interested in developing our character than we are in developing our own character. So, so what it takes to leave whatever impression upon us is what he's going to do that will change us. So, so despite what these verses may imply, there's two things that I want to highlight about what's happening here. And this is the first, despite what those verses may imply when it appears that God reverses course, what's actually happening? But first, we have to remember the Bible is written with words, okay? It's written with words, words that are meant to, to, uh, to be uh, consumed by mere mortals, we are trying to describe something with words that is, in a sense, infinitely indescribable with our finite language. And words like relented or repented or changed his mind are the best words that we can wrap around what we are witnessing as humans. They're the best words we've got to describe what we're seeing, okay? That's the first thing. That's, does that make sense? Does that initial thought make sense, okay? We're limited by words, limited by words. But there's another thing that we have to realize. This is an important one. We have to make a distinction between God's conditional declarations and his unconditional declarations, all right? When we speak about God's unconditional declarations, here's a great example from 2 Samuel uh, seven sixteen, where he tells David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In that statement, there's no qualifications implied or expressed. Regardless of David's behavior, and we know he did a lot of bad stuff, right? God's word would come to pass. It's God's promise, unconditional. On the other hand, what are we talking about when we speak of God's conditional declarations? In the Bible, if we know we're reading one of these conditional declarations most often when we read the word if, or if is implied. For instance, this is one of the more uh, um, famous ones, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people, okay? It's very similar to the condition that he gave Jonah concerning the people of Nineveh. I will destroy you in 40 days if you don't repent. If you repent, then I will relent, all right? It was a condition, it was a condition, it was conditional on their repentance. And any time we see what appears as God changing his mind, it's always a conditional situation where the change of course is contingent upon obedience, okay? Always keep that in mind. It's always conditional upon obedience. Now, before we get the idea that God is somehow sitting up in heaven, wringing his hands, hoping, for instance, that the people of Nineveh get it right, golly, I hope they repent. He knows the outcome, even as he makes this declaration. So what's going on here? God is telling us something about his character. In each of these circumstances, God is telling us something about his character. Listen to this, okay? The fact that God, quote, changes his treatment of us in response to our choices has nothing to do with his character. God does not change. Therefore, he must treat the righteous differently than the unrighteous. And he needs to tell us about that in a way that we are going to get. When someone repents, or better yet, uh, when someone confesses the saving power of Jesus, God must forgive. If someone rejects the truth of, of Jesus, if they refuse to repent, God must judge. You see, he is unchanging in his nature. He can't one day be pleased with someone who repents and the next day be angry with someone who repents. That would show him to be inconsistent and untrustworthy, even moody, okay? For God to tell Moses, for instance, I'm going to consume the people. And then after Moses pleads, listen, remember I always tell you, listen for the whispers of Christ in the Old Testament. Listen for them. Because if you hear the whispers of Christ in the Old, Test in the Old Testament, suddenly in the light of the New Testament, suddenly things make sense in the Old Testament. For God to tell Moses, I'm going to consume the people. And then after Moses pleads on their behalf, he doesn't consume them. It makes it look like God changed his mind. But in reality, God was simply staying true to his character. And at the same time, painting for us a picture of Jesus. My wrath is consuming. If not, for the one who intercedes and pleads on your behalf. He has to make this distinction. Obedience produces one result. Disobedience produces another result. If you are disobedient, it will result in something catastrophic. If you are obedient, then it results in something glorious and wonderful. He has to set this dichotomy up. He has to. He has to present it there. And so in reality, yes, our his behavior is conditional. His behavior is conditional. Disobedience gives us wrath. Obedience gives us favor. And if not for the obedience of Christ, we would have wrath. Okay? Again, this is why I say over and over again, I never tire of saying that the whispers of Christ are heard all throughout the Old Testament. And this is what we're seeing when we're given the impression that God changed his mind. He's telling us that he must treat righteousness differently than unrighteousness. This is what he's preaching throughout the Old Testament that there must be a different reaction to righteousness and unrighteousness. And we have to walk away from that saying, how then do I get righteousness? 
How do I do it? How do I meet that condition? It only works in our favor if someone meets that condition on our behalf. And this is what he was whispering to us in the Old Testament. You're going to have problems with this. You're not going to be able to do this. Someone is going to have to do it for you. Okay. Now, having said all that, now I got to let my mom off the hook. My mom didn't relent and give me back my birthday party because she too was trying to teach me the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. A difference between obedience and disobedience and that they do produce a different result. Okay. She tried to give me the opportunity to repent and I didn't repent. I popped that girl's bicycle tire and that yielded a different, different consequence. The party was canceled, but guess what? That might've been the last, I think, I honestly believe, I think that was the last note that I brought home from school. That was it. I didn't bring home any more notes from school after that. Because again, my mom was trying to show me a difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. And they do produce a different result. And again, you're going to get stuck in that unrighteousness status and everything's going to be canceled for you unless someone obeys on your behalf and does it for you. Unless, again, if you think about the, the way that my party worked out or didn't work out, all these parents were saying, you can't do that. That's too mean. That's too mean. Don't do that. What I needed was a better intercessor. I needed a better intercessor. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is the one that says, he's not the one saying that that's too mean, God. He doesn't come down and say, that's too mean. Don't do that, Lord. He's saying it's just, and I'll take your punishment. I'll take your punishment, and I'll, I'll, I'll put them underneath my wings, and I'll cover them in my righteousness, and I'll pay the penalty for their sin. Again, he doesn't break down that difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. He upholds it. He upholds it and he passes it on to you, okay? And again, last note that I brought home from my parents, or for my parents, it was the difference between being unrighteous and, and righteous. Uh, again, it just took a birthday party being canceled for it to start to sink in with, <laughs> with me. All right, that was a lot, I know. What questions do you have? We got a, a few minutes for some Q&A. Did that begin to resolve your understanding of what is going on when we see this uh, apparent change of mind or change of course in the Old Testament. What questions do you have? Trudy. Mm -hmm. so does it would appear to us that way. But again, what he's trying to show us, he's trying to show is that, that unrighteousness produces a different outcome than righteousness. But in this case, they were unrighteous. Interceded. They were unrighteous and they interceded because of grace, okay? Because again, because there's a bigger picture that he's trying to teach us. And remember, and remember what we have to, he's, he's setting us up the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. And the thing that we have to remember is none of this was, was uh, caught God off guard. He knew that this was going to be the outcome from the very beginning. He knew that this would happen and he knew that it would take an intercessor for, for, to step in. Mm -hmm. Prayer. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What a great question. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. This is one of the greatest applications of this whole concept is that Trudy brings up the idea of prayer, because what am I praying for? Am I praying for God to change his course? Am I praying for God to change his mind? There's this quote 
uh, that uh, I always have attributed to C.S. Lewis, and it may very well be C.S. Lewis, but the truth is I first heard it in the movie Shadowlands. <laughs> I was trying to find it in writing somewhere, but I know for sure it was in Shadowlands, but the concept remains the same, or the truth remains the same. I don't, he says, I don't pray that I may change God. I pray that he may change me, okay? And what you have to realize when you pray, when you pray, what you're doing is you're asking the Lord to align your will with his. And God has appointed everything that will come to pass. He's ordained whatsoever comes to pass, but he has also ordained the means by which those things come to pass. And one of the ways that he's, uh, he's um, one of the means that he uses to bring about his will is prayer, okay? Here's, here's, a, here's maybe a practical example that might make a little bit more sense. Uh, I've used this one forever. For those of you that have been in my class any amount of time, you, you've heard me use this before. When the grass grows, what are the means by which we use to make grass grow? We use water, we use sunlight, uh, photosynthesis, right? Could God, if he wanted to, have just said, grass, grow? Would it grow? You better believe it. But what did he use instead of saying, grass, grow? He used water, he used sunlight, he used photosynthesis and all those other things that makes the grass grow. So when God brings about his will, what are the means that he uses to bring about his will? Prayer, think of prayer as the water that makes the grass grow. Prayer is one of those things that God uses to bring about his will. He brought about the outcome that came about because by his appointed means, prayer, he brought about this result. And again, it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around this because you and I live on a linear timeline. And we, we think that when I pray this, this result will happen. You have to remember that God lives outside of time and space. And so these things are not linear to him. They all work together for his good. And so when he says, I want to bring about healing in this person, the means by which I'm going to use to bring about healings is the prayer of this person, these people, okay? And again, for us, it seems like an A plus B equals C, it should work out linearly. But again, he doesn't, he doesn't work linearly, all right? And I also have to say this. In all this, there is a bit of mystery too. Again, just like the Bible, where we are limited by our words to describing something that is indescribable, this too would fall under that category. We're doing the best we can to describe something that is, in a sense, indescribable. That's the best I've got, though. Okay. Someone else? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mike. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There, there's a measure. This is Mike, uh, and he was talking about the idea that uh, not only in Exodus 32 do we see something that uh, um, we just read on paper, but it's his interaction with Moses and his if I could say this, his sanctification of Moses, that the purposes that, that God is, is uh, uh, um, unfolding before our eyes on, on, the, on the pages is also, he's utilizing to shape and form Moses, which is absolutely true. Because again, uh, God didn't have to have any of this conversation with him. He could just carry out his will, but instead he's, he's putting Moses through the paces. He's putting Moses through the, the chore of, no, God, please don't do this. And he's developing Moses' sanctification. So there's, that's what's happening in the moment. But again, always what that projects out to be is God is telling us a story. 
And that story is one day there will be a true and better interceder that will come along and behave just as you've done, Moses. Again, it's not an either or, it's a both and. He's developing Moses's character and he's developing Moses' sanctification as a servant of, of God, as an interceder for God. And he's telling us the bigger picture of Jesus that is yet to come. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. I love this. I love the scriptures because they do so much all at once. Who could come up with that? Tell me, who can make all that up and it work out like that? It's unbelievable. Uh, it's believable. <laughs> That's what I should say. It's so unbelievable that it's believable. All right. If you have any other comment, I want to leave those. So I have to get back to the sanctuary at least four minutes to get back there. Uh, and if you have any other thoughts or comments or questions or struggles with that, please, I'm happy to talk those things uh, through with you and uh, always glad to carry on those conversations. So uh, let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you how, um, how wonderful it is. We thank you that you tell us a story that happened thousands of years ago, but we're seeing that story play out over and over again in our own lives, in our own sanctification. And, uh, and uh, we get to rejoice over the fact that we do have an interceder that, that right now intercedes on our behalf. And though we deserve so much worse, though we deserve to be consumed by the wrath of God, we have an interceder who says, no, Lord, they're with me. I've paid their price and I give them my righteousness and you honor that obedience of Jesus Christ and give it to us. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, help us to always remember that as we uh, go about our day and our week and, and uh, be sure that we tell other people about it. Thank you for the hope that you've given us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you all.